Masechet Ketubot of Ayin Dalid. We're speaking about a case of a man who does a conditional Kiddushin to his wife. He says, will be, this Kiddushin will be valid on condition that you don't have any blemishes. And then they go through with the Chupah, and at the time of Chupah, Bi'ah, he doesn't renew the condition. And then afterwards, it turns out she, she does have a blemish. So the question is, um, does the conditional Kiddushin continue uh, into the Chupah? And since he cared about it then, so the Kiddushin was not valid, and then the Chupah is not valid, so they're not married because she does have a, she did have a blemish. Or do we say that even though the Kiddushin was conditional, but then the Chupah, he didn't say anything. And so therefore, he maybe he forgoes on the condition and he's okay with it. And therefore, they are married, even though she does have a blemish. All right, so this is subject to a three-way interpretation. We already saw Abaye and Rabbah on the previous staff. According to Abaye, this matter is a controversy between Rav and Shemuel. Rav uh, figures that it's a valid marriage because... A person does not want his bi'at to be, be be promiscuous. And then if you say that it's conditional, so retroactively it will turn out that the kiddushin was nothing and therefore the bi'at was promiscuous. So therefore, a person will forego the condition. That's what we can assume. And therefore they are married. Shemuel, on the other hand, on the other hand, says, no, if a person made a condition that she doesn't have a blemish, then he cares about that and he continues caring about it. And therefore the kiddushin was not valid and the bi'at would then be promiscuous. Uh, so according to Abaye, it's a machloket between Rav and Shemuel. However, according to Rabbah, all agree that the condition continues. In other words, everyone agrees with Shemuel here. Um, okay, and then another, now we're going to see, starting off, that Rabbi Ochanan also agrees with the same opinion as Rabbah, that the condition continues, and therefore it's an invalid marriage. We're going to see that Rabbi Elazar says that everyone agrees, Rav and Shemuel, all agree that it's a valid marriage. And so going to Rabbah and Rabbi Elazar, Rav and Shemuel disagreeing about a different case, but not about this simple case here. Okay, so here we go, we begin. Itimar Nameh. So we say also, in addition to Rabbah, so to Rabbi Yochanan. You make a Kiddushin on condition, and then follow that up with Bi'ah, but the Bi'ah was not on condition. Uh, he does not need a Get, because we assume that the condition continues throughout, and therefore, if the condition is not met, if she has a blemish, then they are not married such that she does not require a get from that man. She can just go and marry a second man. Now we have a challenge to the Biochanan because the Biochanan says something else um, in this regard. So we uh, challenge from Rav Acha, son of Rav Ika, son of Rav Acha, Bar Yaakov's sister, uh, who said this. Um, uh, now there's a Braita here that says a mistaken Chalisa is still valid. But what does that mean, a mistaken Chalisa? There are two interpretations by the Amoraim of that Braita. Sometimes they would trick a man. If a man didn't wanted to marry his Yavama, but she didn't want to, and then and he refuses. We don't want her to remain as an aguna. So the rabbis would come and say, listen, do the chalitza ceremony, right? And she'll take off your shoe, she'll spit, and by doing that, you'll be married to her. So the guy doesn't know any better. He's not very learned. He says, okay, and he doesn't. He'll go and do the chalitza ceremony, 
and then we'll uh, we'll tell him, oh, you know what? Actually, you did. You just severed your relationship with it. So with her. So even though he does, he thinks that he's marrying her by doing this. It's a mistaken halitza. They're tricking him. Nevertheless, the chalitza is kosher. All you have to do is go through the act, even if in your mind you think you're doing the opposite. That's what Eshakhi says. Rabbi Yochanan rejects it. Rabbi Yochanan says, I teach the following halacha, that if one or the other of the couple, the man or the woman, doesn't have intention, then the chalitza is going to be no good. Whether uh, he has intention that the chalitza will separate them, but she doesn't, or she does, and he doesn't have intention that the chalisa will separate them, meaning he thinks that you know it's going to marry them, or he thinks something else. Either way, the chalitza is no good. Both of them have to know what they're doing and know that this chalitza will separate the bond between them. Uh, that's what I teach. And you're saying that this chalitza, where he has actually intention the opposite, that he thinks it's going to marry them, and you're going to say this is valid? I, I, I cannot agree. This goes against the uh, halachic tradition that I know. Rather, what's a, chalitza, a mistaken chalitza? I say it's talking about a case where the rabbis will come and say, listen guy, do chalitza and we will, tell, we will give you 200 zoos. And then we trick him. He does the chalitza and we don't, even give, we don't give him the money. Even though it's on condition, never this chalitza is on condition. Nevertheless, and the condition is not fulfilled because I don't give him the money. The chalitza still works. So this will be another way of um, a reluctant uh, man to get him to uh, do the chalitza. Just do the chalitza. We'll give you money, and uh, we don't have to give him the money. Okay. So here's the challenge. So we see that since he does the action, that he does the chalitza. Uh, that means that he is waiving the condition, even though we told him before you know, will do you that um, do this chalitza on condition that you get to two hundred zoos, and he does it it's still valid because we assume his doing the action shows that he's waiving the condition. So according to Yochanan, a subsequent action waives the condition. So too in the case where. A man did kiddushin on condition, but then, as bi'a later, why don't we say that he forgoes the condition, and therefore the marriage should be good? How come the Yochanan said that you don't need a get, and the condition remains and continues? All right, good, good question. But the student, uh, one of the students there said, what is that? What kind of question is that? It's an easy answer. Whenever you have a condition, what's the source that you can do, make a condition on an on a action that's coming up? We learn that from Benegad and Benedoven, who requested land on the eastern side of the Jordan. And Moshe said, listen, you, uh, you can give, take this land on condition that you go and fight with the other tribes within the proper borders of the land of Israel. Now, What we see from that example is it's an action that can be done 
by an agent, by a messenger. After all, Moshe is not going to be around anymore once they, when, when they're actually going, going into the land fighting. So Moshe is transferring this responsibility to Yehoshua. And he's saying, you know, Yehoshua, I, I uh, appoint Yehoshua to uh, give you this land, and that will be on condition that you go and fight. So anytime, so these two things are linked. Any action that can be done through a messenger, also you can make a condition uh, for it, uh, just like in that case. However, But any action that you cannot do through a messenger, that you have to do the action yourself, like Chalitza. I can't send a messenger to do Chalitza. I have to do it myself. Um, so therefore, there's no possibility of making a condition on that. And so that's why these two cases are fundamentally different, the Biochanan will say. In the case of Kiddushin, a person can send a, a messenger to do Kiddushin. He can right here so take this money and go tell that person, Hare at le ploni, that person that sent me. Or you can give him a shtad and say, go and give the shtad to that woman on behalf of myself. Uh, so since you could do Kiddushin, with a condition, uh, with a messenger, so too you can add a condition, and the condition uh, will is, is is a valid condition, and so therefore, in the case of kiddushin, the condition is valid, and therefore, even though when he does biyah after, the condition remains, and if the condition is not fulfilled, then retroactively they were never married. Um, uh, not, not retroactively, just they were never married. Uh, on the other hand, Chalitza, which you cannot have a messenger do Chalitza, so too conditions do not work for Chalitza. Even if I say, I'm doing this Chalitza on condition that it, it will rain. Doesn't matter, or that even that it's raining now. Doesn't matter. The condition is null and void just because the action itself uh, is what empowers, uh, what effectuates the outcome. Uh, the con what's the connection exactly between uh, doing an action through an agent and with a condition? We shouldn't even discuss that. Here is one logic. If an action cannot be performed by an agent, this demonstrates that the act itself is the essential factor. Just the fact that I did it, not the intention it expresses. Consequently, one cannot void the act by means of speech. Uh, so by or by means of a condition. Uh, so with Chalitza, it's the act itself, just the fact that she took off the shoe um, and you can't do it with anybody else. So it's not like uh, I can transfer the authority because I can't transfer the authority because the act itself is what's important. Because the act itself is important, I can't make it on condition that something else happened. It can't kind of go through that other indirect uh, um, uh, way, the action itself just automatically works and the condition can't control it. All right, so that's a very interesting connection and that solves the problem. We ask, hold on, Hold on, if someone does Kiddushin through Bi'ah, that's one of the ways to do Kiddushin, um, and uh, uh, where you cannot send a messenger, hey, go and have relation, I tell my friend, go and have relation with that woman, so, and, so that she'll be Mikudeshet to me, that doesn't work. And yet, you can make it a condition. We saw an example before, a person uh, can go to a woman and said, this following Bi'ah that we will have, will be Kiddushin on condition that my father agrees uh, that I could marry you. And so that is a valid thing. So here is a, um, a counterexample where even though it's something you cannot do through a messenger, nevertheless a condition does apply.
And we answer, Now there is different because the different ways of doing Kiddushin, the three ways, are all uh, compared to each other. Uh, they're all juxtaposed to each other, and therefore we learn one from the other. So too, just like with money and with a shad, that can be done through a messenger, and therefore can also be done. Uh, through with a condition, so too, bi'ah, you can do with a condition, even though it doesn't have a messenger, you can't do it through a messenger, nevertheless, it is similar as compared to the other two, so a condition does work in that case. Oh, good. Amar Rav Ula, Bar Abba, Amar Ula, Amar Rabbi El Azar, Hamikadesh Bimilveh, Ubaal, Al Tenai Ubaal, Bepachot Mishave Peruta Ubaal, Dibrakol, Sericha Hemenu Get. And here we have the third and the last opinion of Rabbi El Azar, who's going to say that all agree that it is a valid marriage. He includes some other cases too. Someone who does Kiddushin with a loan, meaning he forgives a loan, right? He tells the woman, listen, you know that $10 that you owe me? Uh, you don't have to, uh, um, with the, that $10 that I forgive the loan, you don't have to pay me anymore. That's an invalid Kiddushin because you have to give her something. You can't just wipe out a debt. That's not the same as giving something uh, someone something to someone. Uh, right now, the people that have their loans, their student loans forgiven, is the question whether they have to pay tax on it, right? This is exactly this very question. Some states are requiring it. Um, is a forgiven loan like you got money? Or is it not like you got money? So uh, Halakha would say no. Um, so that Kiddushin is no good. Now how about you did the Bi'ah after? Um, so does the Bi'ah make a change? Let's see. Al Tanai, if you do a conditional uh, Kiddushin and then do Bi'ah after, that's our case that we're talking about. If you do Kiddushin with less than the Peruta, like a paperclip, that Kiddushin is no good. But you do Bi'ah after, according to everyone Bi'ah Lazar said, you require a get. Why? Even though the Kiddushin was not valid, doesn't matter. The Bi'ah you did afterwards, you, we assume you'll have in mind that this bi'ah will consecrate, will complete the marriage. This will be in place of the, this will be the kiddushin. And so therefore they are fully married. In other words, even though he made a condition beforehand, we assume that he forgets about the condition and the bi'ah is therefore a fully valid marriage. So there you go, the coin to the bi'ah al-azad. He thinks everyone would agree. That it is a marriage. Amar Rav Yosef bar Abba, Amar Rabbi Menachem, Amar Rabbi Ameh. Hamekadesh b'achot mishavet pirutah ba'al sircha mehemenu get. Another version, another statement that's similar, but this time by Rabbi Ameh only quotes one out of the three cases. He only says that if someone does kiddushin with less than a pirutah and then does bi'ah after, he does that as a get. But he disagrees with the other two cases. Why? Because they'll say, everyone knows that if you use a paperclip less than a peruta, then it's not a valid kiddushin. Why he did that? Whatever reason, he was joking. Um, and uh, so therefore, since he knows that was not a kiddushin, therefore he will make sure to have intention that the bi'ah will, the next bi'ah will be for kiddushin. And that's why they are fully married. But in the other two, uh, if uh, someone does Kiddushin by forgiving a loan, people very, may very well think that that is valid. And therefore, they will not have in mind that the Bi'ah afterwards will be uh, a, a Bi'ah for the sake of Kiddushin. And similarly, regarding a condition, a person that will think that the condition is valid. 
and uh, therefore will not have in mind that the bi'ah should undo the condition, and therefore if the condition is not fulfilled, the, um, the uh, marriage is not valid. So the bi'ah would agree, disagree on those two cases, but agree on one case. All right, nevertheless, we do see that the bi'ah lazar thinks that uh, they are married after, even after the condition, uh, because the bi'ah makes up for it. Uh, so in the name of Ula, someone does the kiddushin on condition, but then does bi'ah, they do require get. They are married. And in fact, there was such a case, and the rabbis looked into it because they wanted to try to undo the marriage, but they couldn't undo it without a get, uh, because once they did bi'ah, the bi'ah uh, undoes the condition before that. Okay, good. Now, Now, this opinion that says it is a valid marriage, it goes against the following Tana. Regarding a sota, unfaithful wife, if she is not forced by the man, if a, if a woman is forced by the man by a man, by uh, by some man. Then she, well, she's raped. Well, then she can go and remain with her husband as long as he, he's Israel, not a Kohen. Uh, but if she is not forced and she goes and sins, uh, she's unfaithful with this guy, then she is prohibited to her husband. Um, so we, so the fact that it says, we learn that if she was forced, she's permitted. But from the word vihi, we, it's also a limiting word. She, in one case, when she is not, when she um, is not forced, when she's willing, she's prohibited. But since that's a limit word, there must be some other case that even though she's not forced, even though she's willing, she still is permitted to go back to her husband. What case is that? We're talking about someone who does Kiddushin and uh, it's a mistaken Kiddushin like this where the Kiddushin is on condition or something like that. And even though they have Bi'ah afterwards, even if she has a child and the child is old enough to ride on her shoulders, she can say, no, that Kiddushin was never valid, and she can go on her own way. Uh, so you see that according to this Tana, if someone does some kind of conditional Kiddushin, but does uh, do the Bi'ah after, that is what the, the case that we're talking about, where uh, someone... Uh, where, where the condition uh, kicks in and they were never married and therefore she can go be with another man willingly and that's permitted. Uh, that's not considered adultery. So that's what this uh, he is coming to exclude according to this Baraita. So you see that um, this Baraita goes against the opinions of uh, Rabbi Al-Azad and Ula and it would follow either Rabbah or the um, the according to Abaye would follow uh, Shemuel. All right, that now brings us to the next case. A very interesting case to Norabanan. Halcha etzel chacham vehitira mekudeshet. Esed ofevri peota ena mekudeshet. If a woman has has does kid has kiddushin on condition that she has no vows. A man says, "I'll uh, marry you on condition that you have no vows." She does have a vow at the time of kiddushin. Uh, afterwards, she goes to a sage and she undoes the vow, right? She does a hatara 
Um, and uh, therefore, retroactively, at the time of Kiddushin, she now no longer had a vow. So the Baraita says the marriage is valid, even though at the time when he actually gave the Kiddushin, she had a vow, and therefore the Kiddushin should be null and void. But since in the meantime, uh, since later on, she went and undid the vow, so she actually now never had a vow, valid Kiddushin. However, if uh, a case of blemish, he made a stipulation, this Kiddushin is unconditioned that you have no physical blemish on your body. And they do the Kiddushin, and she had a blemish at the time. But then she goes to a doctor, and the doctor heals the blemish, and now she's per- perfectly healthy. And Amikudeshet, the Kiddushin, does not work. We do not say retroactively, um, that she didn't have the blemish. Ma ben chacham What's the difference between the sage regarding the vows and a doctor regarding the blemish? And the answer is chacham When you go to a chacham to dissolve the vow, he dissolves it retroactively from the beginning and says, right, if you knew that consequences, would you ever have made the vow? I would never have made it. Therefore, it, we go back and it's as if you'd never made the vow. Therefore, Going back in time, uh, this is like a time paradox, right? Back to the future. If um, uh, if uh, your parents never met, would you be born, right? So uh, since she never had the vow in the first place, therefore the condition uh, was uh, was uh, ne- was not met, and um, uh, the condition did not kick in, and therefore she didn't she didn't have a blemish. So the uh, they are married. Uh, however, but a doctor only has the power to heal someone from now on. They can't undo the sickness from the beginning, right? If someone has a broken arm, the doctor can come and fix it and, and make it straight so it will heal from now on. But you can't go back and undo the fact that you had a broken bone or any other disease. And therefore, at the time of Kiddushin, he, she did have a blemish, so the Kiddushin is not valid. All right, this is kind of a fascinating uh, difference. You, you can if you take it a little bit out of context and say, what's the between a Chacham and Rafa? Nowadays, we use the word doctor in both senses. You know, a doctor of philosophy, a PhD, and a Rafa, a doctor who actually helps people and heals people. And what is the difference between them? And so, well, you can say that uh, a, a spiritual guy, someone who gives wisdom, uh, or a sage, a rabbi, when gives you gives one wisdom, they can actually help the person and even retroactively, which is good in the spirit of Teshuvah. Now during Elul, right, Rambam says that that one of the ways of Teshuvah is to change your name, to say, as if to say, I am not that person who made that sin. Someone does a sin, a transgression, something shameful, and he changes his uh, personality to such an extreme that he's no longer the same person, so that retroactively, I don't know who did that, someone else, that sin does not exist at all. That's kind of the power of a spiritual change, uh, whereas a doctor, the best he can do is heal you from now on. But, you know, there's always, always leaves a scar, uh, always leaves uh, some trauma. And so you cannot undo a physical blemish uh, from the beginning. All right, that's a little bit out of context because really the Chacham is only talking about a, uh, a vow, um, as not actually talking about Teshuvah, but it's still... Uh, a nice uh, jumping off point from here to think about the difference between spiritual and physical healing.
Okay, now we have a challenge to this paraita. According to this paraita, if a person, if, if a man made a condition, whether it's a condition that she has no vows or that she has no blemish, and she went afterwards to either a sage to undo the vow or to a doctor to heal her, either way, the Kiddushin is not valid because at the time of Kiddushin she had a vow and she had a blemish. And we don't talk about this retroactive uh, undoing. So the says, I can resolve it. Uh, the Abaraita above that says that she is married regarding the vows and it does work retroactively, that is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Whereas this Baraita here that says she's not Mikudeshit in either case is the opinion of Rabbi Elazar. So let's see, what do they, what do they disagree about? How to be Meir de Amar. Adam Rabbi Meir said that a person, in order to save his marriage, would be willing to have his wife undergo the degrading process of undoing her vow. In order to undo her vow, she has to go in front of a bedin and she has to say, this is what I did, and she has to give all lots of details, personal details and regrets and things that may be shameful. And so this is a degrading process. And so to be me, it assumes that a person uh, would have his wife go through that process in order to remain married to her. And therefore, uh, when he makes a conditional kiddushin with her that she has no vows and she goes afterwards and, oh, I had a vow, uh, but she goes and undoes it, a man would want her to do that. And therefore, the undoing works and the kiddushin is valid. Uh, whereas this paraita here says that it does not work, is it be a statement of Rabbi Al-Azad, that a person would not want his wife to go through that degrading process, and therefore he would not want her to uh, undo the vow, and even if it was possible to undo the vow, he would say, no, I, I, I married you on condition that you have no vows, and I'm not accepting uh, this process that you can go and undo the vow, and so therefore the undoing of the vow is not valid, um, she had a vow at the time of Kiddushin, and therefore the, she is not Mikudeshet. Okay, this machlok between Abi Meir and Abi al we're now going to see the source, which is a Mishnah. Maihi ditanan Mishnah and Gitin. Um, that's not talking about this case, a different case, but it has the same principle within it. A man divorces his wife. They're fully married, and then he says, Oh, you have these vows? I am divorcing you. He cannot remarry her. He can't say, Oh, I feel bad. I changed my mind. I want to take you back. Or, uh, he divorces her because she has a bad reputation, she's not being faithful. Turns out that was false and she was, uh, she did nothing wrong. Nevertheless, he cannot take her back. The reason why he can't take her back, even if she annuls the vows, or it turns out that this reputation was wrong, is because we're afraid of the following case. Let's say he divorces her for one of these two reasons. She goes and remarries to a, a second guy, and then he finds out, oh, I could, I, I could have uh, um, sent her to a court and undid the vow. Well, then I would never have divorced her in the first place. So you know what? That divorce I gave her is null and void, right? It was a mistaken divorce. And now I want her, I, I, she has to come back. And it will turn out that he will and we, he can uh, cast doubt on that divorce and the, her second marriage will be no good. Her children will be mamzerim. So we want to avoid that in, at all costs. And therefore we say, 
listen, you can divorce her, it's final, and you can't change your mind after that. Um, and so that, that will limit him. That's good because it will allow her to go on with her life and not have to worry that one day he's going to say, oh, no, no, I want, I didn't mean the divorce. I want you to come back. Okay, now, and that same Mishnah continues. If it's a vow that so he, he disagrees, it's not, not that you can't take her back in any case. It depends. If it's a vow that everybody knew about, then he cannot take her back. But if not everybody, it was a private matter and, uh, and he divorced and then she can undo it, then he can take her back. That's a biuda. It depends what kind of vow it is. If it's a vow that's out of the husband's hands, that the husband himself cannot annul it, as which is his right as a husband, but he can only annul certain vows that will have to do with uh, their relationship. So if it he cannot do it, but it requires a sage, then he cannot take her back. But if it's a type of vow that he could uh, undo himself, then he can take her back. That's Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Elazar Omer, Echad Sarich Vechad Eno Sarich Lo Yachazir. He says, either way, doesn't matter whether he can he needs a sage or he doesn't need a sage, he can do it himself. Either way, he cannot take the woman back after he divorced her because she has this vow. What's the reason of Rabbi Elazar? Amar Rabbi Elazar, Lo Asru Sarich Ela Mipinesh Eno Sarich. His reasoning is because they gonna they're gonna uh, um, uh, prohibit the one that needs a chacham to undo it because of the one that doesn't need a, a, a sage to do it. The one that doesn't need a sage for sure, he cannot take her back. And so, because it, they look the same, therefore he said the one that needs a sage also uh, he cannot take her back. Now. Let's go through each of these opinions in the Mishnah and figure out what is the reasoning of each. How come the Biyuda distinguish between one that is a public vow, then he cannot take her back between a, and a private one? Uh, so we see that this here is a public vow that Bnei Israel made to the Gibeonites. Uh, they came and said, you know, we're from far away, even though they're actually from in, within Israel. And so they first make a peace treaty and don't kill us. They deceive Bnei Israel. Nevertheless, uh, Yeshua did make a vow and said, okay, fine, we will live in peace. We will leave you in peace. So because they made that vow and it was a public vow, it was impossible to undo even though it was taken in error. So we learn from here that a public vow is impossible to undo. Uh, so uh, one opinion says it's three people. We learn that from Yamim Shenaim Rabim Shelosha. This is in the context of a zava. How do you distinguish between a nida and zava? It's how many days she sees blood. So if she sees blood, yamim, rabim, we learn that yamim is plural, so that's at least two. And rabim is, adds yet even more, so that's three. So we learn that the word rabim means three, and therefore, uh, if a vow is said in front of three people, it cannot be nullified. No, it would be ten, since it's the same as minyan. It says here, nishbe'u nis not Yoshua by himself, but together with the um, the the leaders of the uh, group of the assembly, and Aida is considered ten. Therefore, something that's done in ten cannot be undone. According to the Buddha, if a woman makes a vow in public in front of three or ten 
people, then this is a very reckless thing to do because it cannot be undone. And therefore, it's so reckless, we want to, pre we want to uh, uh, prevent women from doing that. And therefore, the Buddha says, listen, no, if you make such a vow, he divorces you, you cannot be taken back. Okay, so that's the Buddha's opinion. But now here's the ones that we are, are relevant to our discussion. What's at the essence of this machloket? Uh, why does the Bimei say that any vow that requires a sage you cannot undo? Uh, and that Abiy al-Azad is almost the opposite. He says the only reason that they said um, uh, that you can't undo one that requires a sage is because of one that doesn't require a sage. So, in other words, he's going to agree that if it requires a sage, it's still not allowed, but only because it might get mixed up with the other type. But um, essentially, it can be undone. Uh, so, what's the essence of the machloket? As follows: says a person would be willing. Not that he wants it to happen, but he'd be willing in order to save his marriage, to get back to his marriage, he'd be willing to have his wife undergo the degrading process of undoing a vow. And therefore, any vow that, um, uh, that requires undoing by a sage, uh, since he would be willing to go through that process, so we cannot allow him to do so because in the meantime she might have gotten remarried and then he's going to go and, and um, have her undo the vow and uh, then she will have a problem with her second marriage. Therefore, we tell her, we say an absolute rule, you cannot bring her back so she can go on with her life. Otherwise, she might have to go undo the vow. Whereas says a person would not want his wife to go through this degrading process in court. Therefore, he's not going to go and undo the vow. Therefore, you don't have to worry that after she gets married, he's going to go and have her vow undone. Since we don't have to worry about that, so it's really not a problem if it's a vow that requires a betin. The only reason that they said you can't go back if that is a, a, that type of vow that requires a hacham is only because the guy might get mixed up with one that he can do himself. And in that case, he might want to undo it. So we say, fine, you can't do it in any case. Uh, so here we see the essence of the machloket are these principles, and that's what we use to uh, solve the problem of the two baraitot that we saw before. We could say one is to be Meir and one is to be El Azar. All that was one answer uh, to explain the contradiction between Tubaraitot. Now we're going to see a second answer. Remember the contradiction was, we had the first Baraita that says, if a man does Kiddushin with woman on condition that she has no vow, and she did in fact have a vow at the time, but she went and undid the vow, so retroactively she never had a vow, and therefore they are married and would require a get. The second Baraita, which is one that Ava is going to explain, is to a medic, uh, uh, says the same case, but in that law, even though he later undoes the vow, oh, we say, we assume that he would not want her to undo vows, and implicit in his, in his condition is, I want to make sure she has no vows now, whether or not she undoes them later. So Ravah says that second Baraita is talking about a woman from an important, um, from an important family. 
um, because he says to himself, I don't want to be prohibited to her relatives. Um, if the marriage is valid, even though he gives a divorce, he is permanently prohibited to her sister and, and other, other relatives. But because of important family, he may want to marry them one day. Therefore, when he makes that vow, he is implicitly having in mind, listen, either this marriage is good, Right, and I'll be married to this important woman. But if this marriage is, is has a problem, then I want it to not have been a marriage at all, and I want it to retroactively have been undone. I don't want it to go through. Therefore, when he makes this uh, this uh, vow, this condition, he's saying, if you have if you have no vow right now, then fine, we're married. If you have a vow, and even if you undo it later on, I don't want to be married to you. I don't want the Kiddushin to be valid at all, so I can keep my options open and be prohibited to your relatives. That's what it's talking about. Whereas the first Baraita is talking about just a regular woman where he's not interested in the relatives, they're not so they're not important people. And in that case he wouldn't mind he, if the marriage went through, and then if he decides, you know what, you undid the vow after, but you really did have a vow, I, I don't want to be remain in the marriage, he'll give a get. And he doesn't mind giving a get because he has not, he's not interested in her relatives. So that's how Dava explains the contradiction. We ask about Dava's explanation from the continuation of Zabraita that gives the reciprocal case. You see, she can also say, hey, I don't want a man who has vows. I don't want to find out after the marriage that this guy uh, said he's not going to eat meat. He's not going to wear a certain clothing. He's not going to live in a certain place. Um, and so she will um, accept the marriage only on condition that he doesn't have vows or that he doesn't have any blemishes. She just says, I don't want to find that after that he has some kind of problem. And, uh, and after it turns out he did have a vow or did have a, 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 a blemish, um, but he goes to a sage and undoes it or to a doctor and heals. The marriage is valid. In other words, um, the uh, retroactively, we, it, we go back and we say, oh, well, the, you were okay with it. Now, regarding blemishes, uh, the difference here is that uh, when uh, a woman says, I don't want my husband to have blemishes, we assume that he, she, he just, she just doesn't want him to have, to have blemishes at the, after, once, the wedding, once they're married. But as long as he gets rid of it before the marriage, even if it's after the Kiddushin, we assume she would be okay with that. And that's um, built in to her condition. So even though at the time of Kiddushin he had a blemish, but as long as he gets rid of it before the wedding, she'd be okay. Um, whereas the other way around, a man uh, would not be okay. He says, no, I want her, her to be unblemished even from the time of Kiddushin. So all this has to do with just the psychology of what people assume. Uh, but now we're going to ask regarding the vow. We should assume the whole Baraita is talking about the same case. And therefore, really, regarding the vow, it should say that they are not married um, and uh, the fact that he undid the vow and uh, retroactively or anything like that, we should assume that he won't, that she won't care. She still will not want to marry him because we should assume it's also talking about a case where he is from an important family and she is going to say, listen, I don't want to be prohibited to his relatives. And if this va marriage is valid, 
It's going to be a valid marriage. She's probably not going to be okay with it because she doesn't like a guy who takes vows. So she's going to end up wanting to divorce him. And then she'll be prohibited from marrying any other member of his family. And so therefore, why don't we say the same logic that she, if it's an important family, we assume that she would rather either be totally married to a guy who never never made vows, or if there is any vow, even if he undo, undoes it, she would rather not marry and divorce, but not have the marriage happen at all. So we, why don't we use the same logic and say, the marriage is invalid? And the answer is, No woman would rather be with any man, even if he has some flaw that he did make a, make a vow once, but he undid it she is going to be more forgiving because she seeks out marriage more desperately than a man does. Better to dwell as two, this is actually a Persian word, to be together rather than be a widow. It's much harder for a woman to be a widow. She didn't have a lot of economic prospects to get a job or anything and so her life is very hard whereas for a man man also wants to be married but uh not is not as needy to be married as a woman therefore she's going to be uh, forgiving and say okay fine even though she she had he had a vow it's still okay he undid it it's okay she still would rather be married um, uh, emphasizing this point that women would rather be married than not married, we have the following Abaye Amar Gabra Beharata If a, a husband is even small as an ant, even if a, person, a woman's husband is very uh, little or not important, nevertheless, she puts her seats among the noble women. She says, I'm a married woman, and she feels very proud of her husband and of her marital status. Same idea that Papa said um, that if uh, someone whose husband is a woolcomber, a very lowly occupation, and nevertheless she's proud of him, she says, Come sit on the porch together with me. I want to show off to everybody my this is my hubby. And she's proud to be married to anyone, even if he's uh, even if he has a low job. Um, and come and sit. further emphasized the point that even if a person's husband is lowly, nevertheless, oh, his wife will not demand even lentils for her pot. He's not. She's not going to demand. Hey, either give me food or get divorced. She is happy to be married even if he doesn't provide the food. And uh, we end with uh, something that's uh, uh, not so nice to say about women, but um, uh, emphasize the same point. Tana, kulan, mizanot, vetolot, bebaalehen. All of these women who have these lowly husbands, the reason why they're happy with their husbands is so that they can commit adultery. And therefore, if they're pregnant, they can say, oh, I'm pregnant from my husband. And so they're happy to be with lowly husbands because that gives them an out uh, to be uh, to to go and be promiscuous, um, uh, but all right. Either way, the point is that she's happier to be married than unmarried, and therefore uh, she is more willing to the she is more willing to accept the kiddushin uh, than he is, and that's why in this baraita, uh, in the case where he undoes the undoes the vow, they are mikudeshit. Whereas when she does the vow. He is more picky, and he would say, "Enami kodeshet baruch Adonai le'olam." Amen. Amen.